I'm going to read the Bible for us now, and we're reading from Luke chapter 1, which you can find in these Bibles on page 908. So Luke chapter 1, and we're going to start at verse 57. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son. Then her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her his great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. When they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother responded, No, he will be called John. Then they said to her, None of your relatives has that name. So they motioned to his father to find out what he wanted him to be called. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they were all amazed. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. Fear came on all those who lived around them, and all these things were being talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. All who heard about it, heard about him, took it to heart, saying, What then will this child become? For indeed, the Lord's hand was with him. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our ancestors and remembered his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant that we, having been rescued from the hand of our enemies, would serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of God's merciful compassion The dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew up and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his first public appearance to Israel. Well, tragedy struck Layla and Danny's family on the February the 1st, 2020. A drug-affected driver lost control of his car. The car hit seven children. It left four of them dead. And three of them were Layla and Danny's children. No words can describe their pain and suffering. Yet what made this story not another tragedy was Layla and Danny's forgiveness of the driver. Layla describes how she decided to forgive the driver even before she knew his name. As she went to that crash scene, she prayed the Lord's Prayer for each of the children and herself. Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Layla and Danny refused to be people of hatred and anger because the mercy of God had changed their life. They said, we have been forgiven 
by the creator of the universe or the world. God's unconditional mercy to them enabled them to unconditionally forgive the driver. Now, he would face the fair and just punishment for his crime, but he would not be indebted to Layla and Danny. Danny reflects, I would never have been able to forgive the driver if not for the mercy of God. If I wasn't a Christian, I would say, no way. Layla and Danny, you've probably heard of, their decision has changed others. They came up with I Forgive Week, which challenges people on how to forgive and why that impacts communities. But their decision also saved Samuel Davidson's life. Samuel was the driver of the car. Some prisoners where he was being uh, held wanted to deal with Sam. On hearing this, Danny wrote a letter to Sam and the prisoners. And he put a copy of that newspaper in the letter. And across the top in a big black marker, he wrote, Leave him alone. He is forgiven. The, the forgiveness of God is the sweetest, most life-changing gift in the world. The holy God is a merciful God. His mercy is his loyal, generous and undeserved love to sinners, which offers forgiveness of sins and reconciliation. And today we're going to be taught by someone who received that mercy for himself. Zechariah will be our teacher and he will help us see the shape and power of God's mercy. And we've got three points today. So number one, mercy received. In the first part of our passage, Luke records a double dose of mercy. The time had come for Gabriel's words to be fulfilled. Elizabeth gives birth to her unexpected son. And as news spread throughout the town, her shame and her disappointment was washed away by the mercy of God. All those who had looked on her with sad eyes were changed to having eyes that beamed. And the whole town said to her, the Lord has magnified his mercy on you, Elizabeth. And her husband was nodding along in agreement, still silent. Now, eight days later, we're at the synagogue and it was time to name the child alongside his circumcision. They went to the synagogue with a crowd of family and friends. Yet the story gets really complex, right? The crowd, they're expecting the child to be called Zachariah like his father. And that was a good name. Zachariah meant the Lord remembers. And if you've been here the last few weeks, both Elizabeth and Mary had celebrated God's remembering of his promise and people in their songs. But Elizabeth says, no, his name will be John. And the family and friends, they just go, what is going on here? Has Elizabeth gone totally off script, like using a name from her favourite Netflix film, right? Like, it just doesn't make sense. So they look at Zechariah and they go, 
what is his name? And it's a critical moment for Zechariah because 12 months before, he had failed to trust God's word. He had challenged the Abriel Gabriel to, to prove himself. And so he'd had months and months of silence as a sign of his refusal to trust God. And now in the synagogue, God gives him a second chance. God gives him mercy, a second chance. And what does Zechariah do? He takes it with both hands. He grabs that wooden plaque, which is covered in wax. He grabs an implement. It's like original smart board, right? And he writes, his name is John. Notice the verbs. It's not his name will be John. It is his name is John. Because that little baby has had a name ever since the time of the angel's announcement. And immediately, Zechariah's tongue is released. He was forgiven. And he responds with praise. Why is there a new name? Were John, sorry, were Zechariah and Elizabeth trendy inner West parents trying to pioneer a generation of Johns, right? Like, is that what's going on here? Well, no. In the Bible, when the name is changed, it points to something new. We saw it with Abram to Abraham, Jacob to Israel, Simon to Peter, Zechariah. He represents the best of old Israel. He is a sincerely godly man, but he comes from a people who are very faithless. And John will not be like his dad. John represents the new picture of the people of God. And his name means God is gracious, which is a much better name than God remembers. Because there are a whole bunch of things we do not want God to remember. You can all think of the things in your life that you do not want God to remember. But John represents the new time of God's grace. His mercy that does not remember the past because it is forgiven. Now, this name change is a hint to what God is doing by sending baby John and baby Jesus. And it's only a hint at this point, but it becomes explicit in Zechariah's song. You will have noticed that Luke describes the journey of the crowd too. The crowd, they go from confusion at, uh, at the new name. They go to amazement at Zechariah agreeing with his wife. And then they go to fear when the tongue is released and he begins to speak. And that creates a ripple of discussion through that town. And so the crowd, they come back to Zechariah and they say, what will this child become? What is his place in God's salvation plan? And so in point two, Zechariah replies, now, Zechariah, right, he has had a lot of time to reflect on what God's doing. Twelve months of silence to go, what did Gabriel mean? What is God doing? And now we read, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. If you were here last week, we know when the Holy Spirit is at work, it's pointing to someone. 
And so Zechariah prophesies, teaching the crowd and us the what, how and why of God's salvation plan. If you just put your finger on verse 68. Verse 68. Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. What is God doing? Well, God has stepped into history to do another exodus, a great rescue. If you were to go home tonight and read Exodus 2 and 3, you would see the same things happen as in Luke chapter 1. Just like in the days of Moses and Egypt and God saving his people from Pharaoh, God has now turned up again to redeem his people from their enemies through redemption. Redemption is the payment of a price to save. The enemies here are not the Romans. They're not Christians on the sorry, they're not people on the internet who don't like Christians. The enemies of God's people are every power and individual that oppose God and his Messiah. We see this in Psalm 2 up on the screen. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Zechariah says there'll be a new exodus that will be total deliverance. God will save his people from earthly powers and spiritual powers, including Satan and sin and evil and suffering and ultimately death. Zechariah says there is a better, bigger exodus about to happen. But the second question is, is how will he redeem? Look at verse 69. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. When you hear the word horn there, it probably doesn't mean much to you. But in the first century, the horn referred to the ox. And the ox was the most powerful animal of the day. And so what Zechariah is saying here is that God will save his people through a mighty rescuer, a strong rescuer from the house of David. That house of David is a clue pointing us back to 2 Samuel 7, where he's reminding us when God promised to send a better David, a forever king. The new exodus will come as God visits us as a human, as a descendant of David, to do what no other saviour or ruler was strong enough to do. The third question is, what's the purpose Verse 74, having been rescued from the hand of our enemies, would serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. When I was 17, I was checking out Jesus. I wasn't a Christian at all. And I would visit churches and check out Jesus. And I visited a church where I once heard this phrase, God saves you so you can be the best you. And I remember going home that night going, that's underwhelming. 
I'm underwhelming and I don't want to be the best. There's got to be something more to what God is doing. And there is. Look at it here in verse 74 and 5. God has a much bigger purpose than giving you, making you the best you. He redeems people so they can fearlessly serve him. Exodus 2.0 is better than Exodus 2.1 because in Exodus 2.1, God's people were thoroughly scared to even approach the mountain where God was speaking and they definitely could not enter his presence. But look what the horn of salvation does. The horn of salvation will enable God's people to walk up the holy mountain into the presence of God, knowing they will be welcomed and their worship accepted. That is huge. God saves people so they can serve him every day. See that note, see those last three words, all our days? There is no such thing as a Sunday Christian. If you're a Sunday Christian, you're not biblical. Because there's no such thing in the Bible as a Sunday Christian. Christians are saved to serve God all our days. Not just at church, but at our workplace. Every day, all the days. That's what Exodus 2.0 did. It's an incredible prophecy, isn't it? A bigger Exodus, a better David, a brilliant future. But how could we be sure it happens? Well, look what Zechariah does. He is so sure that it will happen that he describes us, describes it in the past tense. He describes it as if it is already happened. This is what Mary did last week in her song. And he, he can do that because his confidence comes from the faithfulness of God. God has spoken by his prophets and made a covenant a commitment to Abraham and David. And now that baby John is born and Jesus is in the womb, it's as good as done. And so Zechariah is not going to make the same mistake again. He's 100% sure God's mercy will overflow to his people. The greatest mistake in Academy Award history happened on February in February 2017. It was the final award of the night. Faye Dunaway awarded the Oscar for Best Picture to La La Land. Everyone cheered. The filmmakers came up and began their acceptance speech and then they were interrupted. They were told there'd been a mistake. Faye had been given the wrong envelope. The winner was actually Moonlight. Whoops. As we listened to Zechariah's song this morning, did you feel like he was singing about the wrong child? Whoops. But that's the point. Zechariah answers the crowd, what will John become? By singing about Jesus. By explaining that the entire life of John will be about someone else. Look at verse 76. And you, John, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. That little sentence says the only thing he says about his son. It's like a little letter to his son. Now, we all know, verse 80, John is going to be a tough man. 
He's the guy wearing the camel skin robes, probably, with, probably killed by his own bare hands, right? And he eats honey that he scooped while fending off a bear, right? Like he is a tough man. He's the new Elijah, the prophet of judgment. He will call people to repent. He will call Pharisees the brood of vipers. But as people respond in repentance, he will point them to Jesus. This is what his letter meant. Dear son, as promised in Malachi, you will prepare the way for the visit of God by telling everyone about the tender mercy of God that is found in Jesus. My dear John, you will offer salvation. You will tell people about salvation. He will pay the price to purchase it. The new exodus from spiritual and earthly enemies will be won through Jesus. He is the horn of David who will sit on the throne. My dear John, help people to see their need for mercy. Everyone lives in darkness, trapped in sin, separated from God. Sin ruins life. It causes suffering for humanity and the planet, injustice, disappointment, hopelessness and death. Yet God's mercy has come. I've tasted it and it's sweeter than anything in the world. Help people to see what God's doing. My dear son, John, you only have a job because of the greater child. You're the moon. He is the rising sun. You are a torch. Jesus is the bright morning star who lights the path. He will guide the lost, those in darkness, into God's family. Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus in repentance will receive forgiveness. Mercy is located at Jesus. He is God in the flesh who will achieve total deliverance for his people. Zechariah sings a beautiful song. He did not know that the total deliverance would actually come in two parts, separated by two comings of Jesus. That Jesus would come once to forgive sins, he'd come a second time to defeat all earthly powers. Zechariah puts it into one complete story. I have a friend called Bill, and Bill has always been interested in Christianity. He constantly asks what I believe. He constantly asks, well, how does it work? One day I shared with him about Jesus's offer of forgiveness. His reply was, I don't need it. Now, Bill doesn't think he's perfect. He just doesn't think forgiveness is a big deal. He says, I'm fine. I'll just sweep it under the carpet. I'll sweep my selfishness and indifference and bad behaviour under the carpet. I'm sure you've all got friends like Bill because Bill's just a product of our culture in Australia. Our culture says, just be yourself, just ignore that stuff. Yet there always comes a point when the lump in the carpet gets too big. There always comes a point when the guilt can't be ignored, when people just don't get over it, when good things don't erase the bad, when the carpet is not big enough. Christianity never says God will sweep it under the carpet. 
No, no, the God of the universe says, I see everything you've ever done and it will all be brought out into the open one day and judged fairly. But because of his great love, he offers mercy to sinners. His mercy doesn't sweep it under the carpet. It's not a magic eraser. God is a just and fair God. And so the better David came to redeem sinners by paying the costly price. The Bible says Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross so we could receive the forgiveness of God. And that means anyone who calls on the name of Jesus can be forgiven. Even Samuel Davidson. Two months ago, Layla and Danny shared that Samuel had become a Christian in prison. He was reading his Bible daily and talking to other prisoners about Jesus. Danny called him up and he asked him, why did you become a Christian? And this is what Samuel said. I wanted what you have. Your act of forgiveness saved my life in prison. That depth of forgiveness was only through the mercy of God. Samuel turned to Jesus, repented of his sins, and now has the mercy of God forever. The forgiveness of God is the most sweetest gift in life. To know that no sin will ever be brought up by God ever again. That nothing would ever stop a Christian entering heaven where only those who are covered by Jesus' righteousness can enter. And the gift of forgiveness changes your life. It changes Zechariah from being doubtful, unbelieving to praising God. It changed Layla and Danny so they could forgive Sam. And it will change you and me. For when we realise the size of our sin and the size of Jesus' forgiveness, hope explodes. Joy is renewed. And you begin to serve not yourself, but God fearlessly. Forgiveness compels you to even forgive someone today that you've never been able to forgive. So have you received the gift of forgiveness? There is no sin too great, no person too broken, no sinner too far gone that Jesus cannot forgive. You may be faking it this morning, but he sees you and he loves you. And he says, if you come on your knees, say sorry for your sin, he will give you mercy. Let's pray. Lord God, you are a holy God who is merciful. We thank you that your covenant of mercy was poured out in the person of Jesus. And on the cross, he took the punishment for our sin. There is nothing more sweeter than your forgiveness. May we be people who live as forgiven people. In Jesus' name, amen.